He's the owner of the most educated feet in professional wrestling. Some would call him the professor. Some might call him infamous. We call him the host of the show. And I mean, <laughs> folks, where's the lie? It's time for the Undisputed Podcast with Bobby Fish. And we're back on a brand new episode of the Undisputed Podcast. That's Dennis. Yeah. And below me is the man who's got more moves than X-Lax, Mr. Bobby Jackfish. Is that how it goes? Really? Did he just say the man that will blow me? The, yes. <laughs> yes. The man yes. that moves X-Lax. So the I man know, that's like more, a day trader? No, no, no you, you have more moves than X-Lax. Uh... I don't know. I've heard the same thing said about our guest this week. Our guest, Colt Classic, Colt Cabana. Wow. Welcome. Thank you, Bobby. You seem so excited just in general here. Is this the enthusiasm of the podcast? I'm excited. Oh, we come in hot and heavy. Yeah, I'm always excited. excited. Some people throw a party. We are the party. There you go. Bobby's not wearing any pants. Yep. I don't have any pants on. I never wear (laughs) pants on this thing. I don't blame you. Yeah. It's hot here in Florida. Come on. You've been here. I have. And that's why, that's why I moved out. Unlike you. (laughs) I mean, when I was done with my WWE time and uh, I was allowed to do whatever I wanted to, I ran right back to the freezing cold of Chicago because of my (laughs) hatred of Florida and how humid it was. Yes. And I went the other direction with you're that. A I found myself, I found myself a lady in a house and I got married. You just you found, found a house? house? Yes. I, I, it, 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 he's squatting. He's it came with squatting. the lady. It nice. came, it was a package deal. <laughs> Actually, no, we bought a house. I don't even want to get into it, but oh boy. Whew. It was a good house. And we, but we've had to do a lot of work. Lots of work. I'm in the same process, and uh, right, it's uh, we can relate to it. No one wants to hear about it on a podcast, but uh, fuck everyone who takes advantage of everybody. That's what I'll say. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh yes. All right. Well, here we go. Then Franklin, shall we? We want to. Do. <laughs> wow. Look at that. We just. Fire away. This is a well-oiled machine, I would say. Yes, it really is. Now, people don't realize Colt is the podfather, aren't you? Yeah. You were one of the first guys to have your own podcast, weren't you? So, you know, before me, a lot, listen, like Wade Keller and uh, and Alvarez, sure. like they, th- those guys were doing like internet radio. And then there were people who did have podcasts. But I here's what I kind of explain is that like I was – probably the first full well i definitely was the full full-time professional wrestler who was in the wrestling full-time and then maintaining a podcast and also probably the first person like in the in actually in the industry uh who was participating in the industry to also have a podcast which i think makes it completely different than people talking about it from the outside so uh, i was inside it and also i wasn't like doing any dirt or anything you know like that wasn't my mo my mo was to tell the stories Um, and talk to my friends, you know, uh, about, you know, their, you know, like experiences and being able to talk to me as opposed to being able to talk to the outsiders, because for so long, a lot of us wrestlers, we would talk to, because the only people that had podcasts were like outsiders. And sometimes you'd be spilling your heart out and then Nash. 
Yes, the actual Aussie Irish. Oh, wow. Wait. <laughs> and it's so crazy. They didn't do more with the podcasting yeah, ventures. Yeah, you would think. They made enough money, Bobby. They made enough money. <laughs> they, 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 yes. they did it well. They did, they did it well. They're doing all right. So, But I would do podcasts, and I'm sure, Bobby, you're the same way. It's like you're spilling your guts, and then you like hear them either like not listening to you or typing away, doing something else. And I just got so frustrated. I was like, I'd like, I'd like to do, I'd like my friends to do a podcast that they would really enjoy doing and be yeah. able to get like the word out on their story and promote yeah. stuff. And so that's kind of how it all, all came to fruition. Yeah. So basically we're copying cult show. Is that? Yeah. Okay. I, well, that's, yeah, that's what it sounds like. Cult's yeah. the original man of the people. Um, <clears throat> I will say this. You are hands down, in my opinion, the OG when it comes to the podcast space for the boys. Like, I don't remember anybody doing it uh, at that time and certainly not doing it the way that you were doing it. Like, it was uh, it was definitely a game changer, in, in my opinion. Um, and it gave a voice to these like you're talking about the stories of your friends and stuff and that's like these independent stories you know these these stories that are coming from the indies that like I, when i was coming up i didn't even know what indies were dude hmm. like I, I had no concept of it right but also once you were in let's say the first five years of your career bobby like you know we know the how wonderful a locker room can be at its best right when it's great mm -hmm. And, and just the camaraderie of the wrestlers. And I knew how great it was. The wrestlers know how great it was. And so the only way to be able to like show uh, the outside world how great it is, is to be someone who's experienced it and then give them that taste. But nobody in wrestling was giving them that taste. So like I felt like because you and I, Bobby, so many times have been after a match or after a show and farting around and making jokes and also yeah. talking serious. Yeah. Um, and which, you know, kind of was my podcast. It's like, that you know we know that and so to be able to give that taste to yeah. the people i that's what i think you know like what i appreciate you saying that is that we can show like there's so many times we know wrestlers it's like well they weren't the greatest you know like maybe the greatest wrestlers but they were so wonderful backstage yeah. and it's like i i almost felt like a bit of a promoter like i was like a promoter like i was like promoting <laughs> my friends to show how great we're like that's you know yeah. like how they said about Heyman, it's like show their best parts you know, that's what he did in ecw is like i wanted people to see right. how great my friends were right no that's awesome and that that's um i mean that's exactly what you did and that's uh, to me and i know like you were a ball player and stuff too like coming up in athletics i think when we become adults and we're we're looking for what it is that we're going to do for the rest of our lives like you um i think sometimes you're searching for like a little bit of that that team feel and and pro wrestling um you know on my way of getting into it like it 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 is an individual thing but it's also not you know it's uh it very much i know like especially like the ring of honor locker room um at different times um even the nxt locker room uh certain times like just it felt it I, it depends on who's in your locker room but it's all, and it also depends who you are and how you look at it. Because if you were like, well, that wasn't a team thing, you might have been the person not on the team, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Like, yes. That it's like, maybe me at 43, like, maybe I'm like, oh, well, you know, I don't feel like I'm fitting in with these people. But there's probably people in that locker room who are 25, and it's like, that's their 
that's their time to shine. Like they they're in it in terms of teamwork where maybe we're a little more jaded. Sure. And we're, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Um, but yes, I agree. And I do. Yeah. Like my, when I think of team, I think of like 2002 to 2005 or 2006 ring of honor for me. Yeah. Um, of just building a company and, no, yeah. and nobody caring about their money that much because we weren't yeah. making any. So it's like, well, we're not trying to, we're all trying to learn wrestling and change wrestling at the same time. And I'm very fond of those memories specifically. And there's definitely all different teams of wrestling or locker rooms that I've been in, but I think specifically right. that's the one that always holds a little place in my heart. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I watched a lot of that time that you're talking about from the sidelines. And I think you'll remember, like I was coming to shows. I was just trying to cut my teeth on the Indies. I was one of DeVito's guys. Yeah. And, uh, I remember you like at a, at a Rexplex show for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that might've been, I know I, I'm pretty sure it was the Rexplex where Trent Acid gave me a shovel driver. Um, he had definitely been smoking or doing something earlier in the day. And I look back at it and I'm just like, yeah, probably should have taken a shovel driver from, uh, from him. What's a day. shovel driver? I don't even remember um, that. It's like a backwards. So like if you uh, put somebody in position for the stinger drop, mm-hmm. but then you lift them up so that they're, uh, you know, basically their pecker is like kind of on the side of your head, yeah. and you drop them on their head. I, I think yeah. uh, Finn Balor kind of does, does did yeah, start, yeah, a little bit, a yeah, little yeah, bit. Yeah. He's a hell okay. of a lot safer with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> hell of a lot safer. God, you know, you bring up Trent Acid. It's so God like, rest his soul. Yeah, he passed. Like I remember, like when he passed, it's like he's been wrestling so long. It's just like mm-hmm. wow, he's probably like he was probably in his late twenties. Like yeah. You know, you think I, I remember when sometimes and it's all perspective of where you are in your life. I understand right. this, but it's just like I was like, well, he was never going to make it. It's like never going to make it like we got guys like now, like and girls like, you know, in their late 30s, early 40s who can still like if you want to give them a shot, they can change their whole life. Sure. And I think about Trent. I've thought about Trent a lot, like when his name comes up, just thinking like I thought he was done up, but like he was yeah. such a talent and he had another 15 years of money making if he could yeah. get himself together. Yeah. Uh, same with Sweeney, man. I think about that all the time too with Larry Sweeney. I don't know how, if yeah. you were around him much. I, I was around him enough to see some of the, um, I don't even know how to categorize it. Almost like carnival. Oh, the main, well, he was a mania. Oh, well, yeah, yeah he was he, very manic. He was manic. In, his in, his in, brain in had a, changed, but yes. Yeah. In a way that, you know, it was like, I don't know. My brain just uh, didn't operate that way. You know, well, sure, he was sick, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so. But he was, he was brilliant. And you say, you know, because his brilliance was in there while he was sick. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was brilliant. And he could just, it's, I mean, it's a sad thing to think of, but the trend acid brought, you know, that popped in my head of yeah. just how many years left they had and how, how great. And they could have sure. been a part of this renaissance, especially, you know, yeah. six years ago, like when the indie renaissance kind of started like boom and boom. Right. They would have been right there. And like, that, I mean, I've said it before, if somebody told me around that time, like when I was setting up chairs, being one of DeVito's guys, like, hey, you're going to make it to WWE and you're going to have a, you know, four year run there, blah, 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 whatever it is. But, but you're not going to do that until the ripe old age of 41. <laughs> you know, I would have been like, okay, who's smoking crack in this? Yeah. Room? Because that doesn't happen. Like I, I'm five foot nine, barely. And uh, yeah, 41. Do you think you would have stopped if 
If you're if you're 22, what what year did you start training? How old 25. were you? Five. If you were 25, and someone's like, "You'll be successful," but it will be in your you know like it'll be in your early 40s, right? Like, do you think you even would have pursued with it, or like? I don't know because I, I I've kind of been waiting for like the um you know for the car to fall apart every year and like every year I don't it doesn't happen I still feel good and and I think sometimes you know maybe uh, motion is the lotion so to speak and like as long as you don't stop you're you know you don't it it doesn't fall apart um yeah, I, I I tell kids all the time when I'm doing seminars or whatever I was like I was like, this is such a long-term thing and you can't like, it's going to be crazy. Cause like in 10 years, you're going to have like, you know, maybe a little bit of success and like yeah. your success won't come. Like you're actually your success. Like it's, I do tell people like success is whatever you make it first of all. Sure. And so I do like, really, I'm like, yo, you gotta like have like little short-term goals. So where, you know, like if, if you're just like, I had a tag team match like that makes you happy <laughs> and yeah. because it's such a i mean we both know it's such a long-term game and it's a grind it's such a grind like this is a lifetime commitment and it's like yeah. and it's hard to think about that yeah I, I think if someone told me that my first couple weeks of of training like i, I don't like luckily you i just think? not that i would have quit but i'm just so glad that i have that perspective later in my life to look back yeah. at it whereas yeah. i see i i yep because when I first started, like, I just wanted to have a match and I just wanted to do some indie shows and never thought anything was going to come. Mm -hmm. And and it was just like, well, my life will go on and like, this will be like a background thing because I, just like you, I mean, I'm not five, nine, you know, or whatever, but I'm, I was like a chubby kid from Chicago. Like, yeah, not I the never, typical, right. You know, Hulkamania. So I, ne I never had any expectations, but it's crazy how much success has come with just being what you shouldn't be, I guess. And, yeah. and putting time in and i know you're a comedy fan too so like i once heard bill burr just being like and I, I might have even discussed this with you once but i remember his quote of just like he's like i'm not good everyone else just kind of quit and i have the most years of experience <laughs> and so I'm, I'm i'm better than everybody default yeah it's, and see that's that's amazing to hear about bill burr too because i bill burr's comedy is is one of the comedians that like it always gets me it's and i don't know if it just is my sense of humor or his or what it is but there's bill burr's matter of fact delivery and just like hmm, it, i don't know man it, it he is awesome put in a lot of time yeah and everyone else quit yeah. so he he by default is awesome and so are you you know just because everyone else sucks because <laughs> no one has as many years as you do <laughs> or experience the cagey veteran. veteran ron saunders yes wasn't that his name i think i think they always said the cagey veteran ron saunders i don't know this is something i heard in my childhood but ron h2o ron waterman <laughs> no, Ron Saunders. Who's Ron Saunders? Ron Saunders. Saunders somewhere. Somebody look this up. Somebody. We need Ron a, Saunders. Who's the guy on Joe? Was Rogan? he a jobber we back in the eighties? You know, from the Lacrosse Ranch, Ron Saunders. That guy? May, uh, maybe. Uh, I spit that up. I don't what know. What the fuck are we talking? I don't know. About? What? I don't know. Bob has <laughs> made a mysterious jobber from the seventies. No, he yeah. heard the term KG veteran and it triggered mm -hmm. something in him. Mm -hmm. I Googled okay, Ron Saunders well. and I got an English football player and manager. That can't be there right. 
The KG veteran. He was, a, he was a soccer player. All right, what do you got, Dennis? Anyway, let's talk about um, Pro Wrestling Tees and how that came about and how you got involved with, you know, merchandising and stuff like that. Sure. Well, maybe just okay, go on. Good. <laughs> I mean, go on. Right. It, it, it's fascinating. It really is. I mean, I can preface it with just that, like, Colt was, again, an OG in that, Animator. like, his merch table was <laughs> not the norm. His merch table <laughs> really? had pins and toys before, like, those, um, uh, you know, the toy companies were putting stuff out and like I, some of the stuff you would see on there that was customized. You're like, how the hell, where did you make this? Cause it had to be made. Right. Yeah. I, I, for some reason, well, listen, I, you know, I start, I went to college and I like, I was wrestling while I was in college. I, when I got out of college, I had to find a real job because I couldn't make enough wrestling. And it got to a point where I was able to make enough wrestling that I could quit my job, but I needed to make money. Otherwise I couldn't do it full time. And when I say I could do wrestling full time, I was making like $6,000 a year. And I thought I could live off of that. And I did, you know, like, but right. I was like, you know, my 25 to 50 to $75 paydays at that time in 2003 weren't enough, but I could somehow get by. And what I needed to do was sell merch. And I realized right. that very early. And also I have a hustler's heart. My father was a hustler in terms of he was a clothes salesman, uh, clothes salesman, a clothes salesman. Um, <laughs> he, he traveled around, he had lines and he sold to stores and like he, you know, the more he sold, the more he made, that's how it worked. Right. So I was like, I got you know, like I need to take advantage. And I had, I was early in ring of honor. So we had internet buzz. So we were popular. Right. And people wanted the merch and a lot of ring of honor wrestlers didn't understand that, but I mm -hmm. did as someone who followed internet wrestling, I guess. Yeah. And so I was always someone who tried to make that extra money at the merch stand and no, and there was, and Bobby will, will attest to this, that, you know, there was a before and after of like how merch, you know, because you were around in the early two thousands of like, mm -hmm how merch tables were then and how they yeah. were now <laughs> yeah because <laughs> they were maybe one local guy who had a store and then maybe nikolai volkoff right yeah, yeah. like that was a merch table no one was taking right. advantage of it no one cared or even thought about it right and um i'm not gonna say like i was the person that changed that but i was part of a movement i think um and uh, you know with that was pro wrestling tees was just this idea because when my podcast got very popular after wwe and i started traveling a lot and i started realizing that like i was doing all these one-off shows and i was less of a team like ring of honor and i became more of like a traveling band just going or a comedian just doing one shot here at laugh laughs one shot at giggles you know <laughs> and so i i rec recognized that i could see people in chicago i could see people in minneapolis uh, in Dallas, but there, you know, the people in Montana weren't able to come to my shows and buy my merch and the people, you know, in Maine weren't able to come to the show, you know, and I obsessed over like alternative comedians. And I was like, well, I'm, I can't see them. How can I support them? And so that's how the idea of pro wrestling tees kind of came through. And, you know, my t-shirt guy was Ryan. That's who I was using at the time. And he had a yeah. vision. He, he, he's such a good businessman. And Bobby, yeah. we know that every t-shirt person or gear person, once they get busy, they quit, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. 
Yeah. They're just like, I this is too much. I if yeah. you're oh if you recommend a guy to a guy, everyone's recommending they they're right. one person. Right. And Ryan was like, Oh, okay, more people are coming. I'll buy more machines. I'll I'll wow. hire more people. And it was that foresight. Kudos you know, to him. That allows Shit. success, right? Mm-hmm. Because usually our gear guys is they're not gonna hire more people, they're just gonna hide and rip people off because they can't get it done. And then mm-hmm. they have a bad name in wrestling. That's how it works. Yeah. yeah, it's the truth. And I think I would imagine some of that bad business practice probably just carries over from some of the carnival roots of, of what pro wrestling is or was. Um, but it does take somebody like yourself that that from the inside sees it, sees the need, sees the void, and then attempts to fill the void. And then has access to a guy like Ryan who was the right guy for the job, you know, it's all timing, you know, networking and, and and pro wrestling tees now is like, it's just so well known. I mean, you used to have to explain to people what it is now before you finish with where your store, what your full store name, they're like, Oh yeah. All that pro wrestling tees thing. Also, the the marketing is really genius because wrestlers have a lot of social media following, but nobody appreciates that. So it's like somebody has 100,000. That's 100,000 wrestling fans. Well, let's say with bots, it's 75,000 wrestling fans. (laughs) And it's like we're telling them, like, you're going to make money if you – tweet this out for people to come to your store and no one else is doing with that. And that's so, and so if you, you know, when we started, if it was the young bucks, Adam Pierce, myself, John Morrison, Beth Phoenix, you know, like some of, you know, it was only like 10 of us or whatever. And they have such a reach that they weren't using to make money. They were just using it to like promote wrestling or whatever. Yeah. And so I, you know, I am a firm believer of you can't like tweet out to make money all the time, but you, if you've done correctly. And yeah. so it wasn't us like spending money to advertise. It was us giving someone an opportunity to make money. And with that, they would tweet to 75,000, 100,000 wrestling fans. So uh, that marketing idea is really, you know, it it was, I think very important to the backbone of pro wrestling tees, especially when Jim Ross and stone cold, Steve Austin, then jump on board. Yeah. And if they want to make money, they have to tweet it out. And they are the, um, I mean, they're the McDonald's and Coca-Cola pro wrestling. So, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, it's insane to think that that business that we came up in, especially the early days, like even when I said that, you know, if you told me I was B40, blah, 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 but like that time frame, to think that, Okay, yeah, Jr. and Jim Ross are going to end up having uh, stores on this, you know, indie-fed um, company that has all the independent wrestlers on there, you know, and, and some of them down to, like, you know, I mean, guys that maybe should be selling hot dogs or something, sure. you know, but it's <laughs> like, and then Jim Ross and, and uh, Stone Cold are rubbing elbows with them. Yeah. So Dennis, we got to get you a store. So we're saying yeah. Dennis is, uh, he sells hot dogs. Yeah, <laughs> actually, that's what he does. Nice. <laughs> I also eat hot dogs. Uh, I love them. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. Frank is married to a hot dog. He Frank is the name hey, of a hot dog. 
It is. Yes. <laughs> that was him. That was him. <laughs> what? So what's what's it like when Jr. and Steve Austin approach you about be on your site? That's gonna be awesome. Well, here's the reality of it is is that they were using somebody else and that person sucked and they're like we need somebody else so they went and used somebody else and then that person sucked because everybody sucks yeah and it just came down to finally someone was like hey this guy ryan is good business yeah. and then ryan goes above and beyond right. and one of the first quotes i remember like ryan was putting out an order and i think cody was like i need a, a hundred shirts and they were like we can't do that and ryan was like no the wrestlers come first and i remember when i heard that i was like you're going to be in business for a long time yeah. because you understand where without the wrestlers there is no t-shirts to be sold. right right <laughs> and you want yeah. to keep those people happy well and it does seem so simple but it, it's amazing how many people would lose track of that mm. you know like you're 100 uh right um yeah that's crazy yeah um so uh we've got the Bill Burr reference again. Um you uh you mentioned Ryan and uh I've lost it. I've lost the uh, Stone Cold somewhere. Steve Austin. No, <laughs> Jim Ross. No, Jimmy Jack Bill Funk. Burr. No, Flash Funk the Bill Burr. Oh, Ron right. Saunders. Ron, Ron Saunders. <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> Billy Jack right. So we covered it a little bit before <clears throat> ring of honor, some very special years for you. Um, let's go uh, maybe in the uh, somewhat way back machine. Um, memories of ring of honor fondest sort of uh, moments. Um... Other than you know, the, the, the road stories. And... Yeah. Well, so, you know, I, my time there is very interesting. It's like 2002 to 2006 or seven signed by WWE. Mm-hmm. Then I came back for a little bit after WWE and then, you know, um, Jim Cornette got a job and then Jim didn't want me on the show. So then I was told to leave w- or leave ring of honor. Uh, and then Jim was asked to leave ring of honor. Yeah. And then a couple of years later I was brought back. So like I, I was part of many different eras of ring of honor. Yeah. But for me, those 2002 to 2007 were so informative. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, my, like just my memories are, it's really, and I keep this in perspective of like, as an older wrestler, it's so easy for us to look at the young wrestlers and be like, they're young. They don't know anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like at that age from 22 to 27 for me, like I felt we really grew something and we did know something like we didn't know it all, but we knew enough that we were growing, you know, there was houses of anywhere from 500 to 2000 people, which mm-hmm. you have to be doing something right to be impressive. So that idea yeah. of like learning the wrestling on the job, knowing you're a part of growing as a performer and as a person and as a wrestler and learning the mm-hmm. industry was, was super important to me. And then of course, um, I mean, in terms of like, like, so me and Nigel, like I loved me and Nigel had a, a feud. I, I, I moved to England for the summer and I came back like on this British kick. I loved British wrestling. I, I finally started to understand it wrestling with Robbie Brookside and wrestling sure. with Johnny kid. And like, before Classic. I got, before I got there, I thought it was kind of silly. And then once I was like immersed yeah. in it, I was like, oh my God, this is the best. 
And so I, Nigel and I were starting to do some British stuff and um, we blew it off with this match. That was like a, called a soccer riot match. Um, but before that, we did this match around a British rounds match in the man uh, in the New Yorker um, in the New Yorker hotel, downtown New York. And mm-hmm. we had the fucking worst fucking match. <laughs> <laughs> like it was me thinking this rounds match that worked with fit Finley and Johnny Saint. Right. Of course, the ring of honor fans would love it. <laughs> and boy was i fucking wrong <laughs> well and so you don't know do you try you don't and so i remember after being so down but mm-hmm. my point is is that like um I, like that's something that i remember is like what a lesson to learn and like to be able sure. to like move forward and also to know that like i wasn't going to get fired if that makes sense right. like i we had the opportunity to eat shit and have security yeah. in our jobs. Yeah. And you have to have that or have else you, there's no way you're growing. Correct. There's no room for growth if you don't have that. Correct. And like we, I wasn't on eggshells, you know, like, right. Like I was like mad at myself, but like I knew I was allowed to be mad at myself and I would go on to, it gave me the, the, the spark to know that I could still move forward and do great which you right. know we did in that feud and it was a great feud i think people remember it but right. i remember how bad that fucking match was <laughs> yeah well i mean I, it sounds like you you're failing uphill yes <laughs> so yeah um so with it being the like the british style um and i i know what you're talking about you know if you don't understand it and you're watching it um some of it does seem a little bit silly um do you feel because it's so intricate hold counter hold and everything makes sense and that's probably my favorite part of it is that where you know that time that you spent over there how long were you there you said Uh, three months three months is that where like did did were there big shifts in some of your moveset coming back then because i it's you know, that's one of the things about your whole presentation that's totally different. It it fits with like somehow you've taken your move set and made it fit with this guy that's out there having fun, but at the same time, you know, you're you're I don't I just don't consider you a comedy act, you know, like I don't see it that way. Right. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And that's why, like, it's easy to say he's a comedy act, but then like, if you, you know, and it's because you've studied and you understand wrestling too, it's like fullest where, you know, it's, it's a, it's a device or whatever it might be, but you know, when, yeah, when I went over there, I I, like the wrestlers and and the British wrestling historians were able to explain to me like why, like how this was like, we didn't look at it. Like they wanted to beat the, the fuck out of each other. This was an exhibition. It was, you know, it was like, gym class but this is uh, you know and I, like they're not looking to hurt each other this is an, right. an actual wrestling like the same way high school wrestling like they're not looking to hurt each other right. but they're looking to win sure yeah and like that's once it was kind of explained to me and then i could yeah. and then you see the rules and the rules are explained um and it's definitely like so i came back from there and i tried to implement a lot of this stuff and I realized that, you know, the same way American wrestling and Lucha Libre, it's all wrestling, but it's so different, right? <laughs> yeah. so, it's so different. It doesn't well, present the same. No. And though, even though the British in 1960s, 70s, and 80s, they talked our same language, it didn't present the same. Yeah. And it took me 
bringing that stuff back to America and trying it in the ring to realize that it doesn't, we can't do, I can't do this exact same thing. I have to adapt right. it to the, to American style wrestling. Yeah. And so that's, it was a lot of trial and error, a lot of trial and error yeah. to, to understand what British tropes I can use yeah. within the American concept of professional wrestling. And once I figured out what does and what doesn't, that's where, you know, I feel I became more successful as a wrestler. And also like, I was always like, I was always like um, my front end of my matches. I want them to be more exciting. I want them to be more different and weird because in wrestling school, you learn like tackle drop down leapfrog mm -hmm. and everyone just does that on the front end of their match. Like I believe like in the middle, you want that deep heat and you want that comeback at the end of like excitement. But the front is like that feeling out process. And I just felt mine were boring. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw this, you know, like when I saw this, different style of wrestling i was so excited to adapt that to my style mm -hmm. um you know i think the same way because you know i assume could be said for yourself and i won't speak for you but in terms of like you know the mma and the mixed martial arts and that kind of stuff it like it just i was looking for something to set me apart and at that time yep. nobody was really using that british style on the front end of their wrestling and so and i fell in love with it so like I, it was so exciting for me Sure. Yeah, you can speak for me a hundred percent with that. <laughs> only because it's it's the truth. You, your observation is is dead on. Um, <clears throat> but I, like I look at the stuff that you were doing, and and as you're honing this um, and making it your your flavor, um, and it it does stand out. And did you know it was going to stand out? I mean, that's not why you were doing it. You're doing it, and and that could be a byproduct of it. But you're doing it because this was this thing that you found, and you're like, okay, this is. Did, but did I, you immediately see it and go like, oh shit, that works with kind of my? I don't want to call it gimmick because that cheapens it, but like with your presentation, because your presentation has always been. You know, Fun life, life of the party guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I was looking for, for sure. Like I was looking for, I was looking. That's what I was saying. Like the front end of my matches, I was looking for stuff that was different. I just hadn't been taught it, and I didn't know where to get it or find it. Right. So it's literally. Right. I think it was just like presented to me by Vic Faulkner, by Cat Weasel, by Les Kellett, yeah. by these wrestlers, Masambula, and it was just like it was such a presence for me as a professional wrestler yeah. to to be like, this is what I was looking for. Holy shit. Where has it been my whole life right. or my whole wrestling career? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's pro wrestling, right? I I've said it before. Um, there's only so much expediting of the process that can be done. There's a certain amount of reps that just have to be under your belt before this starts to feel right or make sense. Or it, it just, it is like, I don't, you know, you can be a division one college athlete and there's still a certain amount of reps that like, your athleticism or your uh coordination etc it's it's only going to get you so far um it's a lot like i said it's a long term like yeah <laughs> it has for to sure. be it definitely is i will say so one move of yours that sticks out to me that i love um and it's just so appropriately fits is the one where you dive uh over the top of a prone opponent and you hook his legs in in a flying v basically with your feet as you go over and it results in a pin but it's not a pin like people are expecting to see 
but it's also not a pin that you would easily be able to get out of. So like yeah. it, 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 it checks a lot of boxes. Dude, that became my finisher. Um, in, in pro wrestling, Noah, because I, I was, I was wrestling uh, Saito. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and they were like, you're winning. What's your finisher? And I was like, I've never won a singles match in Noah. And I was like, I don't have a finisher. <laughs> and I that's think it was fair. either Saito or somebody was like, what about that pin? I was like, you think that's a finisher? Yeah. And they were like, yeah. And I think what that is, is like, it's because it's stuck out in everyone's mind of how weird yes. it was. Yeah. And I think it's just like a finisher just has to be something that sticks out. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, that was stolen from, from British wrestling for sure. That was um, everything a... stolen yeah. in some way. <laughs> um, but I, it takes balls too, though. It takes courage to, in that landscape of the, the ring of honor style at that time, you know, and, and a lot of that was influenced by the Noah style. Um, I'll speak from experience. Like I unknowingly thought like, oh yeah, you go out and try to kill each other every <laughs> match. And that's, that's what it felt like working for Noah. So that's what I came home and was doing to people, you know, like I, I would not have wanted to work, uh, the long haired version of me. <laughs> jerk the jerk. Yeah. The jerk. Nobody wants to work the jerk. Jerky Johnson. <laughs> um yeah I, you know I, like so i was good enough to be in ring of honor but i recognized very early enough that i wasn't as good or i couldn't do what loki was doing right sure and he was so good and it's like well what am i going to try to be that right. but i i knew my base skill base was good enough right and it and it it was me going like what don't we have here and it was some flavor, some personality, some yeah. um, charisma. 100%, 100%. Yeah. And I was able to get away with it because my base of wrestling was, was good enough to be with those wrestlers. Right. Um, and then, and then find the thing that's not there. How do you stand out? How do you be different? So right. um, that's, I mean, that's kind of where a lot of it came to. And I have told the story before, but uh, you know, like when I realized I want to do more comedic kind of style of wrestling is I was having like your basic ROH style match with AJ Styles at IWC for uh, yeah. Norm Connors in Pittsburgh. And we we were doing this like high spot. And then I did this thing where I told him to like hit the ropes and I stuck out my foot and I tripped him. And I had I had never gotten a, I'd never heard a pop like that before, like in all of right. my career. And I was like, whole I was like, that reaction is crazy. Right. I, and then I was like, I'd like to explore that more, but also that, sure. that, that reaction was crazy because they were expecting what, you know, like you really, like, that's how you, you know, you get reaction when someone's expects one thing and something else comes. hundred percent. I did a seminar this weekend and that was actually something I said and, uh, was, um, well, I texted it to be, you before this and I, well, told yeah. You. And I'm brilliant. Yeah. I yeah, mean, okay. I, when it comes to the pro wrestling space, like I'm probably the, uh, like dictionary on pro wrestling. And if, if I don't, I don't know about like the shenary, yeah, but it's really shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, where were we? <laughs> uh, you were telling your kids. Yeah. yeah that, so uh, concussions. Reaction. No, no reactions. reactions. <laughs> they they have yeah. To so I was telling different. these kids, um, take a spot that everybody you know that that pro wrestling fans um feel like they know how it ends and change the ending 
and you will get a reaction, you know, not that you want to be working for reactions, but as far as like not looking like the other 10 matches on the card, um, you know, take it's, it's okay to be different, of course, but then it's also okay to like have that little bit of sleight of hand where it's like, okay, I gave you this and you think you're going to see the rest of this and you know how it plays out. And then I change it. And that's a, that's a, a great way to get a reaction. Yeah. Someone once told me a comedian friend of mine was watching me who, who liked wrestling was smart to wrestling. And he said like, Oh, you play on the tropes of wrestling. And I never thought of it that way, but yeah. the same thing that you're saying right now, it's, it's like, these are the tropes. Yeah, yeah. These are the tropes. And I play on the tropes of, of yeah. wrestling. And that's how I did get a lot of reactions and do get, but that's also a brilliant lane to find. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, um, <laughs> almost incestual in a way. It's like, it's woven into pro wrestling and you're in, in an effort to be a more effective worker, you're putting a work inside of what's already a work. Well, it's That's, why it's brilliant. The, the character Matt classic that I did almost yeah. 15 years ago at that time was very popular and caught on because it was playing on the tropes of like wrestling society X right? wrestling society X. Yeah. But if, if I do that character now and I found this, you know, like five years later, like no one was reacting to it or cared about it or thought, even thought it was funny or good or interesting. And it's right. because and that was like a great like wake up call to the shift of wrestling in the in 10 to 15 years mm-hmm. uh of the tropes are different the 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 barriers are different now the uh, goalposts have changed yeah and and everything does and, and, and will, pro right? wrestling yeah. you know being one of those things that uh, obviously has stood the test of time um so it has to evolve it has to change the the current day product is uh i mean I don't know about you, but there's times that like, it's um, not entirely recognizable to me. And I, and I don't feel like we've been doing it all that long. So like when <laughs> I think about a guy like Fit Finley or, or William Regal, like what the fuck does this look like to them? <laughs> sure. But it is recognizable. Uh, there is some 10 year old who's out there who likes it. Yeah. And uh, they will have a, a client for life there you know like sure as shit well there was somebody on this podcast that um made me realize that yesterday with a certain comment that i was making and i was just uh i don't know just in my bullshit and being a negative nancy and uh someone uh, pulled me out of it and just uh spoke some logic to me that i couldn't argue with so for that i say thank you good job right right? Um, I was thinking of this before, but uh, we kind of went past it. So I'm going to go a little bit back to it. Um, Loki, man, what a fucking performer and athlete. Like just, I remember because when I came in, I considered myself like a, a good athlete. I played college football. I, you know, as I know you did and I, um, did martial arts and I just always considered myself capable. And when I got exposed to the indie wrestling that exists in Frank and Dennis still live in my hometown of Albany, New York, like that, that is some of the, you know, worst (laughs) cult. If you ever have the pleasure, you'll know what I mean. But 
so until I went to Ring of Honor and saw guys like I saw you who looked like a football player doing an acai moonsault and was like, what in the fuck was that? <laughs> and then I saw Samoa Joe doing this martial arts influence thing that I'm like, wait, he's too big to do that. And and to see an athlete like AJ Styles or Loki, I was like, man, I like I'm now intimidated with their athleticism where prior to this, like I'm doing these shows where I'm like, holy shit, like, <laughs> you know, somebody get the janitor out of the locker room and then I get out to the ring and, and that's my opponent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Not that I get anything against janitors. They don't. <laughs> I, yeah, I showed up to wrestling school fresh off of division one, a college football thinking right. I'm not going to be in good enough shape for this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Thinking like, I don't know if I'm ready yeah. and then getting there and being like, Oh my God. Right. I, I, my expectations were way, you know, I watched one too many WCW power plant documentaries, there you go. <laughs> there um, you, go. you know, and it was yeah. just this kid, Isaiah, you know, who also worked at Burger King and this other guy who yeah. was kind of like an electrician and like didn't even really know about wrestling and saw a commercial and thought they would start, you know, training at the same time where I'm like, this is my life's passion. Right. Like this is, I can't wait to do it. So yeah. So when you do find those similar people to you um, and yeah, you know, Ring of Honor was the, at the time, the unsigned cream of the crop and yeah, um, it was, you know, low key um, truly was. You know, take everything out of it, but like at that point, he he was breathtaking. He was. He was unbelievable, and still probably is if he you know was at the same, you know, if he was doing the two hundred shows a year or whatever it might be. But yeah, um, yeah, and, and there is, and, and and what I love is that I I always say like I can't wait for wrestling in sixty years. <laughs> because at one point we were like oh my god amazing red nothing is crazier than this and then here comes like matt seidel and then here comes ricochet and then here comes will Oss. you know like when like yeah. ricochet's doing a double moonsault it's like we never thought like a moonsault could be topped right now he's doing a double right. moonsault and you have to be like in 60 years someone's gonna do a triple moonsault it's just it's it has to yeah. happen and yeah they, everyone keeps topping themselves and i don't know how they do it but they're doing it and so that's, that makes me really excited is for the next crop of maniacs yeah. who are flipping around. <laughs> well, the bar <laughs> continues to move and it's like, okay, at some point physics has to enter into the equation and put an end to the insanity, but it just, it hasn't happened yet. And Dude. now I think too, that the less uh, adherence to things psychologically having a pathway you know what i mean i think it kind of lends itself to that triple moon salt like happening you know right well the psychology will always be the king and the top matches will always be i think based off of i think so too that but i i think in order to get there you have to be this unreal performer i i almost think it's like you need to learn the flips and then once you're like popular, you then need to like really learn the psychology. Um, Cause I think it's hard, it's, it's hard to start off as a psychology first wrestler oh, and 100%. get buzz. Yeah, I think so. And you don't know what the psychology really is right. at that point. Like you're learning as you go, like your yeah. psychology is, 
it doesn't make sense. So following it is probably not the best idea. Right, right. I it's crazy to me too, though, then to see guys like um Seth Rollins, Tyler Black, Colby, whatever you want to call him. Um he came along and was able to do like the Phoenix splash and, and some of those things. And, and, and he still does some of that stuff, but to see, and I don't even know if, if, if I have the right to, to talk about it at this level, cause who the fuck am I? But his work at this point, I feel like in the past couple of years, he knows himself as a performer in a way that I, he didn't know, you know, years ago at all, or, or even in, even in the beginning of his WWE run, it's really just, it's evolved, you know? What's he been there over a decade, right? Yeah. yeah. Is it? Yeah. Wow. It's it crazy. I, when I got fired, I think he showed up, which was probably 2000, <laughs> end of 2009, I think, or 2010, maybe. That's crazy. Yeah. And that's going to, you know, that's going to happen. And he was always a higher, He's always a cut of above everybody else. So like oh, you, yeah. you know, he's thirsting to, to get better and want to be better in there. Yeah. So it's, it's not like he was, he's half, I can only assume he's not half assing anything. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. But uh, are you still, uh, you a mania guy still, you still tune into mania every year? Um, I only watch to watch Kevin and Sammy this year, but I okay. only watched that match. I only watched that match. Okay. Um, okay. yeah, you know, my, my friends, it's crazy even to see that, like to see the, <laughs> the way they brought Sammy and Kevin back together. And then I'm like, wait a second, this is, these are the two guys that, you know, you didn't want to have to call your match with because they fight with each other. Right. Um, yeah, that's, it's crazy. Never say never in pro wrestling. Like, never for sure. Just how it how it goes hey listen i think less you know my hero les kellett i think he you know i um i have a podcast called uh pro wrestling fringe which only has like 15 or 16 episodes it's not like it was just like a series and one of them was like the story of les kellett and les kellett didn't get his big break till 57 years old That's uh, like he he became like he was just in it and out of it and then he be, he something clicked and he became a huge star at 57 <laughs> Did so. he do like other work? Like, did he leave the industry or at the very least, like have one foot in? He had one. And, he was like an, he was like a, an indie wrestler, basically. Like right, he would show up right. in his town, you know, England, you know, is, is it's kind of like Puerto Rico. It's just like, you know, the longest trip is like four hours or whatever it is. So, yeah. you know, they, they all had jobs. Steve Gray was a teacher. Mel Sanders right. was a teacher. These guys were, no one was like, you know, maybe rollerball Rocco was full-time wrestler, but right. even he, who knows how well he got by, but so they were just, everyone had a job. And yeah. so they would just do the show as long as they got booked, they would do the shows until they couldn't do it anymore. But Les Kellett was known as just like a, a tough British man, like the toughest of the tough. So he right. was so tough. Like, I think he would have lasted in the ring till 80 or whatever it is, you know, like Jesus. he was built to, like a, as a different person. So, yeah, uh, he was just doing the shows and then he did, a sh he did something and somebody laughed and he realized he was funny and he just took <laughs> off. It yeah. only takes well. It only takes one moment. It only takes that one. Like, look at Austin three sixteen. But it also takes someone to capitalize on it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can't miss your window. Can't miss your window. So, 
Speaking of windows, uh, Colt, your... You know what car I'm driving? <laughs> does it have windows or yes, no windows? Okay. okay. Um, you are doing, like, uh, you're a very... Um... Busy. <laughs> very, very busy guy. Very diversified uh, portfolio. You got a lot of stuff going on. So the... Um, uh, not podcast, but what what is the what is the name of that? What not? The, yeah, we yes, do, we do a show. Uh, we call it pwtlive.com. Okay, uh, and it's like uh, live shopping experiences, and um, essentially, like we're selling. You know, like so with pro wrestling tees. Uh, first of all, uh, Hawkins and Ryder, Cardona and um, and Myers, they got and have always been i met them first when they were 21 at ovw and they were signed as kids yeah and i watched zach Ryder buy a, a full ljn set for three thousand dollars and i'm like what are you <laughs> what? doing you're making five hundred dollars a week like what world do you live in yeah and then like years later he flipped it for fucking nine thousand i think you know it's just like they were, boys? they were ahead of the yeah. game but they've been That's obsessed with figures so. for so long and merchandise yes. and so now like and so with pro wrestling tees we had all this stuff all of this back order stuff from the pro wrestling crates that we do and and micro brothers really took off and all of this stuff and yeah. so um there's just been this stuff in the um warehouse and uh cardona and myers were doing this live show live shopping experience on whatnot mm -hmm. and i saw how great it was and how successful it was and, and not only they were making money but the fans had the opportunity to buy the stuff that you know to us it just sits in our closet but we forget how sure. cool it is like i'm sure yeah. you can go in your closet right now and find all these things that you're like well this is just a thing from a, a tour of japan but someone right. would be like holy shit that i would kill to have that on my wall or in my yeah. collection yeah you know? i'm shocked because there's yeah. i've sold some stuff that i've been like what right and you know at the end of the day like we're all um you know we're we're basically prostitutes and if the price is right you uh, you'll sell it right but also like i don't take away like a how cool because so i've been super in, i've been buying like wrestling vinyls recently uh vinyl records, records? Yeah, okay. yeah 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 and I've just been driver. I mean, I have that, but like, you don't okay. even want to know how scary it goes. Get out of here. I mean, I have some of the weird, I have like Sweet Daddy Seeky, and I have uh, <laughs> Brian Maxine, who's an old British wrestler. Like, Brian. I have, I just got some. You have weird Ron Saunders? I don't have Ron Saunders. I'm looking. Yeah, Kamala? For I'm looking Kamala? For I don't think Kamala put one out on a vinyl. He should have. Um, but in saying that, like, it's all i could think about and like all i want are these like you know uh is like all these vinyls that are so weird so there's people out there that like that it's so they that gets that's their excitement is this collection of whatever you might yeah. you know of a, a program from noah that's you sure. can't get that anywhere but it's sure. you know remy gave yeah. it to you in 2000 whatever and you threw it in your closet <laughs> yeah, remy who's booking all the americans you yes, know it's just remy so you know uh, which yeah. might have like a young uh, Kurt Henning Jr. or you know or DiBiase yeah. you know who was doing tours of Noah back then so for sure um so yeah so we do that uh, we do like a super show every Tuesday night where we kind of there's all the stuff in the warehouse that we just have and has been laying around and so now it's grown a little bit more where you know with AEW like uh because Pro Wrestling Tees and Shop AEW is kind of in conjunction so like it's easy to go um hey Jericho sign this thing you know like and you'll get your cut of what Pro yeah. Wrestling Tees will give you so um 
So it's all kind of really worked out. So it's, it's really, it's a cool thing. It's also like a cool thing to kind of, like you said, like I've, uh, when I got let go from the WWE, I was like, I never want to be in one position where so, if someone uh, fires me, I'm right. fucked. Yep. So my brain is always working on. I've had that conversation with my wife. Yeah. Diversifying yourself. Yeah. And if you have eight sources of income, if one goes down, you have seven sources of income. Yeah. Yeah. It's a difficult process. I will say though, it is it's certainly a difficult process, but so with, is that kind of, what was it when we were growing up? Was it HVC? Yeah. So I say it's like a mixture of eBay meets okay. QVC, QVC, QVC. Yeah. There it is. All right. I do. I do remember that QVC. So what's the unicorn piece in your collection right now? Uh, I have some, I'm trying to think I have some great ones. Uh, but I'll say like, let's see what the vinyl I, ha I have, uh, the Sergeant Slaughter vinyl autographed by Sergeant Slaughter. Oh, I have a great Kabuki vinyl autographed by great Kabuki really? that I got, at, that I got at his restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, oh, wow. Kabuki singing or Kabuki what? singing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, oh, it's so weird. Nice. I have to, when I went, when I toured Japan, I, I went to, uh, Totocon, which I'm sure Bobby, you've been to a million times. I can only assume. Mm -hmm. And I got the Terry Funk vinyl. And after that, I did a podcast with Terry Funk. And I just don't understand why I, and I did a couple of things with Terry Funk. And I just don't understand why I never went and got him to sign it. Yeah. Um, so that's my next like want is for Terry Funk to sign my, uh, <laughs> my vinyl. Book that flight to Amarillo. Let's yeah, get Colt a go <laughs> for me. Let's, let's do a go. Let's do a GoFundMe to get me a ticket to Amarillo. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Record signed. Yeah. Come on, people. Yeah. Come on. Have a heart. Please support me. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta go get him meet the Funker. I know. I met him a million times. I had him on my podcast. We yeah, sat down and talked business. On, Frank. Yeah. Are you yeah. not listening? <laughs> All right. Call We'd me. be remiss if we didn't go down the Briscoe Road. Give us a good Briscoe. You've had him on, I think, your live podcast, your live show, I think, yeah. at one point. Well, Joe, I mean, Joe told this, I think, told a story. And Bobby, I don't, yeah, I don't think you were with us at that point. We did our first show in Liverpool, and the Briscoes were so drunk at the air <laughs> at the airport bar, yeah. which they had the cops called on them. Ooh. And in England, you're not allowed to have guns, but these cops came with guns because apparently <laughs> So I don't drink. So I, I grabbed Jay, who was the drunker of the two. Yeah. And I took him in my room and I like basically like handcuffed him down to my bed. And I was like, because <laughs> I didn't sure want it. Was not easy. Right. Not easy at all. So I didn't, I didn't yeah. want him to get mad. Um, and I was like, you have to stay here. Like, or, you know, like you have to, I don't want you to get, I didn't want to get in trouble. You have to stay here. You have to yeah. be here. And I kept him in my room. And so finally he fell asleep. And halfway through the through the night, uh, I was airing out my bags. And so I had aired out my I opened up my suitcase for my wrestling gear, which was in my suitcase, right. which was right uh, next to the TV in the hotel room with the mirror, like the long mirror. And so Jay got up in the middle of the night, had to take a leak, saw the mirror, <laughs> assumed that was the toilet. He pissed right on all of my wrestling gear. All of it just pissed on it. <laughs> I, who was completely sober, yeah. was like, what the I grabbed him, I threw him out there. I was like, what the fuck? I was so livid. And, and I knew if I yelled at him in the morning, he would have no clue what I was even talking about because he was right. so drunk. Um, and so right. what I did, my so my how I was gonna get him back 
was I was going to steal his shoes <laughs> and I stole his shoes. And I was like, you're not going to have shoes for the rest of the tour. That's just it. <laughs> and so this asshole's luck, he gets up in the morning. I see him at the show the next day and he has these penny loafers on. <laughs> and I go, first I go, Jay, I go, do you remember what happened? He's like, uh -oh. I go, where'd you get those shoes? He goes, man, I just woke up. I, I got out of the room and I literally walked out of the room and right next to the, um, the concession um, machine, the vending machine, were these right. pairs of loafers. He goes, I put them on, and I swear I a shoe has never fit me so well in my life. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and, and to, you know, till he passed, like, we had that cover. He's like, still get, like, every time I see he's like, still got them shoes. Uh, he still had those shoes. shoes. One of a kind. One of a kind. Uh, both of them, which I don't think that can be a possible statement that they're both one of the well yeah they can both yeah they are they're two they're different people them. so yeah there you go and Thank it was hard i mean both bobby and i we spent so much time with them mm -hmm. so you know i it's so it's so hard it's it was so hard it still is so hard to, to mm -hmm. you know like there's so many memories that i don't oh, think man. it's ever been like that you know, Brody was hard. We were in the group as it happened, sure. you know, sure. and I spent time with Brody, but not yeah. like, uh, not like Jay. Not like, like Jay. Yeah, it was yeah. wild. Yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy to think all of the ones that, um, you know, they, uh, it's just, this business has this weird, you know, and well, yeah, at the same See, time, it's a mi microcosm of, that's why I, I've said that before. It's like there's society. We like, know thousands of wrestlers. Like right. the odds are, sadly. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. like if there's eight thousand wrestlers that we know from over yeah. the years, it's sadly there are odds to that. Yeah. Um, well, and that's the thing is if you're looking, if you play the numbers with that, it's also based on the fact that we're all ge geographically different places. You know, not even just the country. We're talking all over the world. So like it's bound to to be, but when I think about like even just the the common thread, like the people you know, the people I know that have you know passed, but it's like it's Jay, uh, it's uh, Larry Sweeney, it's Bison Smith, it's you know, it's uh, yeah, it's it's some sad stuff. It is some sad stuff. But it's you know, it's important like this that you know we keep their names alive. I, I think that's the most important part. And even you saying bison, and uh, I recently watched. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, so um, I think there's a a YouTube channel called the Indie Handshake, and yeah. they put up a documentary. It's like a it's like a a, no, a NorCal kind of like a media team, and they put up a documentary. Well, I watched the documentary on Mike Modest because, which is interesting too. Because yeah. he was a Noah guy, they made a Mike Midas, yeah, uh, like current course. day one, but they also made a Bison Smith one. Okay, and you know it, it didn't get like the numbers or the love. Other guy? Who's What's the that? Other guy? Mike Ma the other uh, Donovan guy? Morgan. Donovan Morgan. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, but it was beautiful to watch. Um, to 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 know that Bison's, you know, people still care about Bison. Yeah, and his name is out there, and yeah, Bison was my first. You know, in my first match, pro wrestling Noah. He, you know, I was scared shitless. He had been there for years. He, we tagged together and I was so blown up probably because I was so nervous and yeah. I was probably blown up the whole tour. And every night he'd be like, ah, it's the, 
the uh the atmosphere the uh altitude yeah and like i was like oh you're probably right but then after he said it every single show i was like no i'm just <laughs> he's just being so nice to me right now right right and, um and what a great guy he was yeah he was i just told the story actually to my daughter my our 10 uh, year old she said something about shoes and uh i don't remember what it was but she's like you should get a pair of crocs and i was like no honey i don't think crocs are for me and then i was like uh, i was just it just got me to thinking i'm like man you know who used to wear crocs bison yeah <laughs> man lived in crocs he, he loved did. them yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah crocs and he had a oh, it was like a faded Oakland Raiders jersey. And yep, I don't yep, remember yep. who was the number. On I don't it. remember, like, but now that you say that, yes, of yeah. course. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's so strange the things you remember. Yeah. Oh, what a good dude. What a good egg he was. Um, okay, so best selling shirt of all time. Do we have statistics? Um, no i mean i can if i wanted to but um right my guess has to be bullet club yeah yeah i would think like do you think bullet club rivals austin 316 i don't know i mean well like bullet club had so many iterations in my alt like comedy head it does but probably not like yeah. <laughs> because you know that was a wwe machine but like just the idea yeah. that it took over all these smaller shows and the idea that like there was so many bullet club shirts at wrestlemania that hot topic was like we don't want wwe shirts we want whatever that is yeah. you know they went to wwe like looking for the shirt to sell right. and it wasn't right. like, wwe no, not ours. <laughs> which is legendary in itself it is That's yeah. it cool. is yeah, it is. That's the, uh, and I don't want to say it like, you know, fuck the man is not the uh, right phrase, but it's that spirit, you know, and that spirit is kind of the, uh, I, I think, in- indie wrestling as a whole. I don't know. I My finger is certainly not on the pulse of it these days, although that's what I'm, I'm, I'm doing currently. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, been, it's different. It's changed since, you know going back uh but i i love it like so far man i'm i'm enjoying it yeah as long as you yeah it's kind of the same thing as long as you understand like the younger kids are the ones that are that will be shaping whatever it is yeah and you're kind of living in their world and um and if as long as you um you know it's like the gangrel theory or the jeff like as long as you're cool to these guys like they need they need the advice but can't be the guy to be like this is how it's done because then they'll be like fuck you you can't not, talk at people you can't talk at them man you got to show yeah. them love and you got to like let them know that you you're on their side and they are the yeah. future of wrestling and they're the ones that are gonna fucking do it and they're gonna be you know like the ones on the top of the indies it's like they're the one like they will be yes. the millionaires like yes. that's you know they don't know it yeah. now or you know maybe they do that's those are the ones he's got to stay away from but <laughs> like every generation is those people that shape the the yeah the outlaw mud shows whatever they're the ones yeah. that are the next in line and so yeah you well they're be- the ones also that that not only develop the talent but they develop the grit to like yep. you know be able to withstand the the doors being closed in their face and and just go okay well uh, i'll try this door i'll find a way yeah 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 so find those guys and uh, kiss up to them. That's my advice for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. That's what I do. 
all right, Frank. What are you thinking? What are you thinking, Kimosabi? Let's take it home with this. Favorite oh. era in the old world of professional wrestling. Well, I mean, I talked about how much I love the world of sport, and I, I think that would yeah. be my favorite to watch. But in terms of nostalgia, I grew up on um, like 84, yeah, 84 to like 92 WWF. That's so, I mean, if I go, man, if I go on YouTube and I just type in like 87 Madison Square Garden oh, you know, yeah. and just seeing the names and just like my childhood, man, it's my childhood. I love it so yeah. much. That was when Saturday night's main event was in full swing, right? I mean, those were were awesome. But it's so, I always tell, like, whenever I do, like, comedy podcasts, I'm like, there's so many people who are, like, they got into, like, wrestling because they were watching SNL and then Saturday night's main event popped up because I think it was every six weeks on NBC. But I kind of, like, got into comedy because I was, I was, Uh, I stayed up every Saturday night hoping for Saturday night's main event. (laughs) And then (laughs) SNL would show up and I'd be like, all right, I'll watch this. (laughs) So you were disappointed five out of six weeks. For sure. For sure. (laughs) See, and that's the grit. That's the grit right there. You were developing it, you know, for later in life. Right, right, right. Who's your favorite SNL character? Ever. What's or that? Not character, but SNL performer. Oh, I mean, or even a handful, like yeah, yeah like like I mean, I mean, like Farley was like yeah, the so best. It's hard to have just one. Farley was the best. I did love yeah. like Will Ferrell, um, mm-hmm. and I'll even give it a shout out like uh, Sarah Sherman, who's on now. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't watch it as much, but I would do like comedy shows with her in Chicago, like stand up and mm-hmm. stuff on the local scene. You can see how brilliant she was, and it's so cool to watch. And it's, you know, SNL is is very much like WWE. And I've talked to people, uh, like I have a friend named Brooks Whelan who was on there for one season and then kind of got fired. Um, and like that, you know, I relate to him in the sense of like I was up on SmackDown for six matches and then got fired. It's like you're there, but you're, you know, yeah. like it was easy to relate to. And also, like they're the corporate comedy machine yeah and, and all the indie wrestlers like i watched sarah sherman on like these indie shows and then you're a nobody and then literally one week later you're the you're a legend of comedy you know it's like yeah. alberto del rio in america it's like yeah you know like he was just no one knew who he was in america and then it's all yeah. of a sudden he's not he's with this push and mm-hmm. i'm talking back to like whatever 2013 and and, and and because vince believed in him so much and presented him promoted him you're like this mm. is this guy's a legend in wrestling yeah. you know all of a sudden your main eventer so yeah uh so that's my little snl ramp but yeah uh 80 yeah. 1984 85 to 91 92 gotcha gets me going gotcha well i think it's a it's a good good time frame for for wrestling myself um before we uh, let you get out of here i gotta give you my sleeper pick for snl because he's a sleeper pick but kevin nealon Oh yeah! Oh, there's Kevin so many Nealon. greats. There's so you many know? greats. Uh, so, what was it? Uh, Subliminal, Mister Subliminal. <laughs> is is that what it was? He did. Yeah, he he would. Yeah, he would yeah, talk he and then so like good. throw something in. Uh, he did that on. Um, oh yes, yes. On yes. weekend update all the yep. time. Yep. You know what he's good in too is weeds. I don't know if you've ever watched that series. I never watched it. No. He was and he was not like a um. I, I, I he was probably somewhat of a major part of the cast, but he was you know he's reoccurring, but he wasn't 
there were definitely episodes that he wasn't on, but when he was on, man, he was great in weeds. I always thought Norm McDonald was a better Kevin Nealon. Sorry to tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a shame. But I did that's like Kevin Nealon. I did like Yeah. Him. Yeah. Well, not enough, though. Not enough for me. <laughs> I don't, uh, I think, but the next time, if we have you back on, Cole, I'm going to need you to be a little bit bigger fan. Pro, a little more pro Kevin Nealon. Yeah. A little more pro Kevin. Okay. That's my request. Um, and uh, speaking of requests, I will thank you very kindly for uh, honoring this request and coming on. Um, it's been an absolute blast to catch up with you, Mr. Colt Cabana, classic Colt Cabana. My original, the original Colt nickname, Cabana. classic Colt Cabana. Yes, yes. yes. the OG. The Maybe OG. I should change my nickname. You got any recommendations? Uh, Jerk Diet Colt Cabana. Diet Colt Cabana? Well, no, Jimmy Jack Cabana. Like, uh, or uh, Colt Cabana Zero. Okay, I like that a little more yeah. than Diet Colt Cabana. What well, are you trying no, to say something? <laughs> no, what I'm trying to say Wait, is... Wait, I, I got it. I got I'm it. I'm going with the it. soda gimmick. Classic. No, yeah. I got it. I got it. We've got Doi Funk, Terry Funk, Jimmy Jack Funk, Flash Funk, Colt Funk. Right. Nope, Frankie, Frank, you're proud of that one, huh? Yeah, Frank, you were really, so long to get I, to. Yeah. Frank Frank doesn't really set the bar very high. Wow. Just, yeah. <laughs> Frank must have the equipment. <laughs> no. More ways than not. He's the equipment manager. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll let Frank sit in. He's got the equipment. Yeah, you know. <laughs> All right, Cole. I think we're on that note time in the show when uh it's get some plugs in there. What are we plugging other than hair? My head. Funk.com, my new website. Uh, Cole Cabana on uh, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitch. Oh, I'm on Twitch. I play video games. Twitch.tv slash Cole Cabana. Do you really? Oh, I've been into Fortnite a lot. I like Fortnite. You play Fortnite, Bobby? Uh, no, no. But I know that like the Twitch thing is huge. And it's one of those things that just kind of like... You know, I'm an old man. It passed me. Well, I, I am I too, but I like to stay current, and uh, so you that's do a better I... job of it than I do. <laughs> I don't know how to start a Twitch page, or maybe well, I would. Yeah, get into it. Uh, PWTlive.com every single Tuesday night, 5:30 p.m. Central, and then um, I don't know. Just follow me to see where I'm at and what shows I'm doing and where I'm, yeah. I'll be around. Yes, my world. Do it. Nice. Do it. Not a lot. Oh, and then the back archive of the Art of Wrestling. Um, it's all it's still available so you know i did one with bobby you can go listen mm, to that back mm-hmm. you can go listen if you want ad free it's on my patreon and um that's about nice it. well like i said before an absolute pleasure thank you sir um you stay warm stay classy Chicago. i think it's, oh yeah stay uh it's getting nicer <laughs> i i walked out i walked around with no sleeves today okay yeah. okay well, come to Florida. I did, and then I moved away. Yes. Not we interested. covered that at the beginning of the show. I have no so interest like we in talked about this. I don't blame you. Thank you. <laughs> but I do love it here myself. I have no interest in Albany. So let's just shit on where everybody lives. Fun fact, Albany, New York is where this all came Folks, from. where's the lie? There it is. Yep. There it is.
Okay. So there you well, go. Well, Dennis. What a great way to you, end the show. Yeah, you just kind of did what Frank did a minute ago. Classic Frank move right there. Now dude. Dennis has the equipment. Now Dennis has is the equipment, man. All right. Here we go, boys. <laughs> All right. Anyway, Frank, let's put a bullet got? in this thing. I got nothing, Bubba. Oh, That's yeah. Iron by the way, that was that way, was so. Frank's Iron Sheik with a throat slash, just so we Jesus. can get canceled. <laughs> yes. Just as I do something stupid, Frank tops me. So on that note, uh-huh. Colt, thank you so much for coming on. Yes, sir. Say good night, Bobby. Good night, Bobby. Good night, Bobby. <laughs>